This is an ENN podcast for the Field Exchange 63 Child Wasting in South Asia Special Edition. My name is Marie McGrath. I'm editor of ENN's established publication Field Exchange and one of the technical directors at ENN. We've produced a special edition of Field Exchange on wasting in South Asia in partnership with the UNICEF Regional South Asia Office. We are delighted to have this conversation with Dr. Andrew Mertens, a postdoctoral scholar at the UC Berkeley Centre for Targeted Learning and a lecturer at the UC Berkeley School of Public Health. Andrew is the lead author of some fascinating research examining patterns of growth failure that we have summarised in the Field Exchange edition, part of the Knowledge Integration Initiative of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which includes a database of millions of participants from studies on childbirth, growth and development. So let's kick off. These analyses that you were so involved in are the fruit of a huge collaborative effort. Could you start by giving us a quick sense of what you examined in these analyses, who and what was involved, and your role in this? Yes, thank you. So this was a partnership between a team of epidemiologists and biostatisticians at University of California, Berkeley, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation's Knowledge Integration Initiative. The motivation was that most of the global estimates of wasting and stunting are based on prevalence measures from cross-sectional nationally representative surveys, whereas the KI initiative had aggregated data from a large set of cohorts and trials and was interested in conducting a longitudinal analysis focusing on age-specific incidents, age-specific causes, and consequences of child wasting and stunting. And so the Knowledge Integration Project at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation had contacted uh, primary investigators of a large set of cohorts, trials, and surveys on child growth, both from developed countries and lower and middle income countries, and aggregated over 190 studies and summarized the data set formats and variable codings. And we used a subset of these studies uh, in total 35 cohorts or trials that had longitudinal measurements of child anthropometry in the first two years of life, and that measured children repeatedly. For some analyses, we used a set of 18 cohorts with monthly measurements, and for others, we relaxed that inclusion criteria and used the larger full set of 35 cohorts with quarterly measurements. And so our specific analysis focused on four key questions. When does growth faltering occur with timing both in respect to child age as well as season of the year, both which have important consequences for the type and timing of preventative interventions. We were also interested in if it was common for children to spontaneously recover from wasting and stunting, and whether there was a need for intervention in particular geographic regions or subgroups without recovery. We were also interested if there are identifiable subgroups that have substantially higher risk of child growth failure so that we could potentially selectively intervene based on easy-to-measure child's parental or household characteristics, and also whether we could identify the children at highest risk of progression to more serious forms of growth failure or mortality. And we've completed a large set of analyses that we've written up in three manuscripts. These are out in preprint format, though they're not yet through peer review. And the first one is titled Early Child Linear Growth Failure in Low- and Middle-Income Countries. The second preprint is titled Child Wasting and Concurrent Stunting in Low- and Middle-Income Countries. And the third manuscript is entitled Causes and Consequences of Child Growth Failure in Low- and Middle-Income Countries. 
Wow, what an undertaking and, and, and such a rich body of analysis. And we have all those um, those three preprint papers uh, summarised in our field exchange edition with links to those online. Andrew, reflecting on particularly with regard to South Asia, which is our particular area of focus, what did you find were most interesting around wasting in the, in the South Asia region? For example, what findings reinforced or substantiated what you felt we already know? And what were findings that surprised you? So in general, we didn't find any causes or consequences of wasting that were unique to South Asia and not to other regions, though there was a large variety in the strength of association between associations estimated from cohorts and trials in South Asia and those in other regions and also differences in the strength of patterns in the incidence of wasting and stunting over the first two years of age. Overall, we found a high incidence of early wasting, especially at birth, and this pattern was strongest in South Asia. And so there's a peak in the prevalence of wasting at around 12 months of age, but also a secondary peak right at birth. And this peak was largely driven by studies in South Asia. We also observed that recovery was, from wasting was high, um, and it was even higher among these episodes of early wasting occurring at birth or within the first six months of life, but that these children who were wasted early were more likely to become wasted again after recovery or to experience more severe forms of growth failure, um, such as persistent wasting. We also observed that overall stunting was higher in the South Asian cohorts and trials. And, and there, there's while stunting peaks in prevalence in older children around 18 to 24 months, and 14% of children in the South Asian cohorts had experienced both wasting and stunting before six months of age, though not necessarily at the same measurement. Another really important finding from the South Asian cohorts was a really strong seasonality in child wasting. And we didn't just observe this in the South Asian cohorts, though it was a very consistent and strong signal there. The consistency of monsoon period in the cohorts from India, Bangladesh, Nepal, and Pakistan meant that we saw a very consistent and strong peak in wasting prevalence around June to August. And so this might arise from both seasonally driven patterns in infectious disease or potentially seasonal differences in food insecurity or food pricing corresponding to the rainy season. We also found a large set of risk factors strongly associated with child wasting. The strongest risk factors were child anthropometry at birth, but also maternal anthropometry, including height, weight, and BMI. One South Asia-specific finding was Overall, boys were more likely to become wasted and stunted than girls, though that sex disparity was smaller in South Asia than in cohorts from Sub-Saharan Africa and Latin America. Another, I think, very important overall finding of the work is that measures of early growth failure are strongly associated with mortality. Every measurement of poor growth that we estimated in children under six months were all significantly associated with a higher risk of mortality, with the strongest association being between children who were severely underweight, so weight for age Z score, less than negative three, or concurrently wasted and stunted um, under six months of age. Overall, the case fatality rate of wasting was higher in um, sub-Saharan African cohorts than in South Asian cohorts, which is uh, consistent with prior research that's a higher rate of child mortality in sub-Saharan Africa. 
but we didn't see any difference in the relative risk of mortality between children who experienced these measures of early growth failure and those who didn't between children in the South Asian cohorts and those in the Sub-Saharan African cohorts. So while the absolute risk of mortality is higher in Sub-Saharan Africa, we should be similarly concerned with children who experience early growth failure in South Asia because their relative risk of mortality experiences a similar increase. And overall, we observed a much higher prevalence of wasting under six months of age in South Asia. Not just specific to South Asia, but across all of the regions we studied, we actually found a lot of results that mirrored prior work that confirmed what had been reported in the literature either from smaller cohorts or from larger nationally representative cross-sectional surveys. But we feel like this work adds a ton of strength to the evidence because of the large, repeated, measured, geographically diverse set of cohorts included in this analysis. So I will say there are a couple findings that were surprising to us. I, in particular, was surprised to see the very high rates of early wasting and stunting. A common wisdom is that we should be most concerned about wasting in children older than six or 12 months. But we saw a very high rate of at-birth wasting and a high incidence rate of wasting in the first six months, particularly in these uh, South Asian cohorts. And so based on the higher observed rate of early wasting and, and stunting, the critical window for intervening to prevent wasting and stunting might be earlier than previously believed. I'll also say it was, it was quite surprising to me to see the strong um, sex differences between boys and girls where boys are at higher risk, but maybe biological differences where children, where boys are um, more vulnerable to wasting and stunting. And the last finding that was surprising to me is that we didn't observe a strong association between measures of exclusive breastfeeding and child growth or on the prevalence of early life diarrheal disease and child growth whereas we saw much stronger associations between more static measures of pre-birth, household, and parental characteristics. So this lack of association between breastfeeding and diarrheal disease doesn't mean there wasn't one there. It, it may be due to data limitations. Brilliant, Andrew. There's so much in there. Thank you. And when it comes to the data itself, just reflecting now on kind of that rich milieu of things that you've identified, are there any limitations with the data that we should be mindful of? Um, which findings do we need to cautiously interpret or maybe not overly con conclude on? There are definitely limitations to the data we're working with in this analysis. There's a large strength to this work in that a large individual participant data meta-analysis, especially with longitudinal data like we're using in this case, offers us a unique opportunity to identify novel patterns in child growth failure across rarer strata of time, space, and human characteristics that, that aren't possible in smaller data sets. But a downside of an individual participant data meta-analysis is we're somewhat limited by the consistency of the study design across all the individual studies. And so we used a large set of cohorts and trials that weren't all conceived or conducted to answer the same questions that we were answering in this analysis. And so we ended up with a disparate set of studies measuring children with different frequency at different ages. 
and that aren't nationally representative, even when aggregated across all um, cohorts, say, within a specific country, they don't necessarily cover the broad geographic range of that country or the differences between different populations within a country and a region. And then across regions, there was an imbalanced geographic distribution of the included studies. We had a overrepresentation of studies from South Asia. We have no studies from the Middle East or East Asia, and we have a smaller number from Latin America. And another limitation is while we examined a large set of associations between child, parental, and household characteristics, not every characteristic we were interested in was measured in every cohort of trial. So the set of studies contributing to, say, the analysis of associations between exclusive breastfeeding and child wasting are different from the set of studies, say, looking at asset-based household wealth and child wasting. We were limited in that many of the studies didn't um, collect gestational age, and some of the studies that did have gestational age at birth measurements were based on less accurate estimates like data of last menstrual recall versus, say, ultrasound measurements. And so even though a lot of this research focused on the high rate of wasting at birth and in the first six months of life, we weren't able to adjust in most cohorts and trials the at birth and early life z-score measurements for gestational age of birth. So we aren't necessarily able to differentiate between a child who is born preterm versus a child that is born full term but low birth weight. Some final limitations are that even with this large data set, you still see rare outcomes among specific strata we're interested in. So, for example, concurrent wasting and stunting is a relatively rare outcome. And because, say, wasting was, wasting has a lower prevalence in the Latin American countries than the Sub Saharan African and South Asian countries. So, examining region specific risk factors for concurrent wasting and stunting in Latin America um, is, is a fairly sparse analysis, even with this large data set. Great. Thank you, Andrew. That, that's really very clear and, and transparent. But as you say, whilst there are many limitations to help in interpreting the data, there's such richness and strength to this very big data set of longitudinal data. You mentioned your new research. What outstanding or new questions has this analysis prompted for you? And how do you think we might get to those answers? That's a great question. I have a set of new questions that I hope can both be addressed with this existing data, but others that I hope other researchers will, will move forward with to collect new data to answer. Of particular interest to me, I'm very interested in the strong seasonality we observed in child wasting and would like to better know the specific causes or combination of causes of this high variability with child wasting and a strong association with periods of higher rainfall. And then also the other alternative hypothesis is that seasonal rainy periods lead to food scarcity or increases in food pricing. Um, and even going into the monsoon season in South Asia, food prices increase. Though in refugee camps where food is rationed, there's still seasonal patterns seen in anthropometry suggesting that it's also driven by infectious diseases. But this may vary across different countries and in different contexts. And specifically, it'd be very interesting to see if targeted interventions could help prevent the onset of wasting 
by specifically intervening prior to the seasonal peaks of wasting. It'd also be good to examine the under six month age group further, specifically in terms of the effect of season in those younger children. So far, we've looked broadly across all children in the first two years of life, but there's a big difference in how, say, seasonal infectious disease or seasonal food scarcity would affect a child who is being weaned off breastfeeding and crawling and exploring the environment versus an infant who is still breastfeeding. So it'd be interesting to better understand those drivers and the causal pathways between seasonal changes and increased wasting. Some of that could be answered by a more targeted analysis of the existing data to be able to answer the questions I have around the overall and region-specific impacts of seasonal infectious disease and food insecurity on child wasting. One might have to gather data from cohorts with, with much more frequent measurements of food insecurity or child pathogen exposure or infectious disease or potentially merge in openly available data sets around climactic patterns and food insecurity. But beyond just the seasonal aspect, I think it'd be really interesting to conduct a similar analysis to what we've conducted here, but on some of these postnatal characteristics that require more nuanced, frequently measured longitudinal data. Thank you, Andrew. What struck me actually, when you, in the analysis that you did and the variables that were available, mid-upper arm circumference or MUAC wasn't commonly measured. Is that correct? That is correct. That's a great point, a, a limitation I forgot to bring up. Within the handful of studies that measured MUAC, we conducted a similar analysis of associations between wasting and mortality, comparing wasting defined by MUAC and wasting defined by weight for length z-score. And we actually saw a stronger association between measures of MUAC and risk of mortality, similar to the strength of association we saw when using weight for age z-score instead of weight for length z-score. But that was only in a handful of studies. And I wish all of the included studies had either measured or reported child's MUAC, as well as other secondary anthropometry measurements like head circumference was also missing. So going forward, there would be there could be great potential to include those, you know, a relatively simple measure in future longitudinal studies that could really add to the richness. And I guess as well, MUAC is particularly scant in infants under six months. So actually including that as a measure could really help us examine it as a as a, an indicator of risk in these children. And reflecting now on, on this rich analysis and, and, and what you've learned, and as it stands, what do you think are the, the policy and programming implications of, of these analyses? First, I believe our results indicate that there should be a renewed focus on early wasting and prevention of early wasting, and also early prevention of stunting as well in children under six months, even though stunting peaks in prevalence around 18 to 24 months of age, the growth failure leading to that stunting is observable early in children. And because of the strong association between prenatal uh, risk factors like maternal anthropometry and the strong, uh, the high incident onset of wasting and stunting in the first six months of life, we may need to focus prevention efforts earlier by the time a child is six to 12 months old and, and weaning and exploring the environments. It may be too late to intervene and 
prevent growth failure in children just through delivering, say, wash interventions or, or supplementary nutrition. We may, may need to intervene at birth or prenatally or even preconception by offering nutritional interventions in all women of childbearing age. Because even when we observe recovery from early growth failure, these children were at higher risk of relapsing into growth failure later in the first two years of life. And so by the time a child is born or we have a couple of growth measurements in the first couple months of life, we actually have a pretty good idea of, of their risk of, of later growth failure. And maybe we need to develop earlier interventions or a sort of life course set of interventions where we're intervening on the mother from preconception through pregnancy and then on the infant through the first two years of life. I, another policy implication I believe comes out of this analysis is a additional support for the idea that we shouldn't focus on wasting and stunting in isolation. While a lot of previous research has focused on either stunting alone or focused specifically on treatment of severe wasting, children who were both wasted and stunted had the highest risk of death. And though the overall prevalence of concurrent wasting and stunting was low, the children who experience concurrent stunting and wasting when analyzing their longitudinal anthropometry measurements before that first measurement of concurrent wasting and stunting were often either wasted or stunted repeatedly in earlier measurements. And so their weight for length z-score and their length for age z-score fluctuate over time, but we could identify that they were at, at high risk of concurrent wasting and stunting early in life. And even though the children being both wasted and stunted is overall largely rare, in children older than 12 months, 50% of the children who were wasted were also stunted. So if we're trying to address wasting, we can't ignore the stunted aspect because most of these children um, will also be stunted. So that really speaks to the need for aligned strategies. And indeed, it might speak to why there's been so much effort to reduce stunting prevalence which hasn't moved and really part of the puzzle is you need to treat wasting in order to contribute to reducing stunting prevalence. Finally Andrew having been through this whole big effort from your experience of collating the data and analyzing it what can you share about the team experiences of the actual process to help inform others embarking such a an effort of compiled data analysis. It's been a wonderful process in general, and the advantage of an individual participant data meta-analysis such as this is not just the aggregate data size or the diverse set of child populations we include, but also the vast resource of scientific wisdom we have in connecting to the original teams of scientists who conceived uh, the individual studies and collect the data. So I'm used to getting feedback from, say, a handful of collaborators on, on an analysis plan or a manuscript. But here we had over 100 co-authors in, in the group, group authorship line of scientists who worked on the original cohorts and trials who gave us great feedback on the analysis, how to interpret the findings, what they see as the greatest contribution of this research, and, and where should we should go next. And so I would say that my high point was 
getting an opportunity to work with such a wonderful large set of scientists from all over the world um, to better understand early life child growth failure. The, I would say, a low point, or at least a, a pain point is data cleaning and harmonization. While we don't spend a lot of time talking about that when disseminating research findings, that can often be 90% of the time working on a project and was, was certainly the case here. Um, it just takes time. I think one of a larger lesson here is while the field is pushing towards more available data and more open data, and that's incredibly important and necessary, it's not as easy as just downloading an open data set and plugging it into a set of, say, machine learning algorithms. Big data is not the answer to our research problems independent of subject area expertise. We needed to understand the design and goals of the original cohorts and trials. We needed a lot of subject area knowledge to be able to correctly code and harmonize the different measures that were collected in different ways across different studies. And then even though we were using um, fairly modern ensemble machine learning methods in estimating the parameters of interest, it's not a, m machine learning is not an independent uh, approach that doesn't require one to have a deep understanding of, of the state of the field. Great. Thank you, Andrew. And finally, you've given us so much time and I could listen for hours. Um, you, you really make this information very accessible and interesting. And I know everyone is going to want to read more now about this research. Any final reflections from you? And indeed, keen to hear what you're going to get up to next. Oh, thank you. Well, first, I want to pause and, and say thank you to all of the principal investigators of the different constituent studies. And, and give them my deepest thanks for agreeing to share the study data they spent so much time and effort uh, collecting and also providing such wonderful feedback on our analysis and interpretation of the results. And couldn't have done any of this without a large global set of collaborators. In terms of what we're up to next, we're continuing research with this data set. One of the findings I reported earlier was the strong association between prenatal characteristics and parental characteristics and how those aspects are not easily modifiable around the time a child is, is born. They might be useful as a screening tool. Well, we're actually trying to estimate how accurate we can predict later growth failure from a simple set of characteristics and uh, simple sets of early life anthropometry measurements. Thank you so much for having this conversation with us. And, and as we say, your work is summarized in our Field Exchange Special Edition on wasting in South Asia, but you've given us a rich insight and it's always nicer to listen and refreshing to listen rather than read sometimes. Of course, and th thank you so much for speaking to me today. Read the Child Wasting in South Asia Special Edition Field Exchange to find out more. Visit ennonline.net forward slash fex.